This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Now, at the half hour, we'll be joined by Dennis Day and the rest of the cast for a story that will resonate with many men listening in. The daunting task of going into a women's lingerie shop to buy a piece of intimate clothing for the girlfriend. <laughs> well, that and Dennis Day's gorgeous tenor voice as he serenades the studio audience. First of all, though, we go back to 1950 and Dr. Grimshaw's Sanitarium on Dimension X. Fletcher Pratt's story first appeared in May 1934, the edition of Amazing Stories, with one of the ugliest covers ever to grace that magazine. They're atypical of the magazine's usual extravagant and over-the-top approach. Dimension X was not the first adult science fiction series on radio, but the acquisition of previously published stories immediately gave it a strong standing within the science fiction community as did the choice of well-established, respected writers in the field like Isaac Asimov, Ray Bradbury, and Kurt Vonnegut, to name a few. In science fiction television, 2004, the book, M. Keith Booker wrote, It was not until the 50s that science fiction radio really hit its stride. Even as science fiction was beginning to appear on television as well, radio programs such as Mutual's 2000+, Plus and NBC's Dimension X were anthology series that offered a variety of exciting tales of future technology with a special focus on space exploration, including alien invasion. And though both series often reflected contemporary anxieties over the dangers of technology, here is Dimension X with Dr. Crimshaw's Sanitarium. Adventures in Time and Space, told in future tense. Dimension What you will hear transcribed in the next half hour represents either a magnificent hoax or the true explanation of the famous Grimshaw Sanatorium scandal which made the headlines back in 1947. The manuscript upon which this account is based was removed by the New York State Police from a fountain pen cover found in the doorway to Dr. Grimshaw's study. We offer this manuscript as evidence only. Whether it is authentic or not, you must judge for yourself. My name is John Doherty. I'm a graduate of Hamilton College, class of 34, member of Theta Alpha. I'm one of those fools who wanted some excitement in life. So instead of going into my father's shoe business, I became a private detective. These are facts. You can check them if you like. The rest of what I write here is so fantastic that I don't expect it to be believed. 
anyone should find this manuscript and read it. All I ask is that you notify Miss Millicent Armbruster of 299 Wallace Avenue, Buffalo, that Johnny Doherty is dead. On the evening of July 1st, Miss Armbruster and I were driving to a wedding. Not our own, though I wish it had been. It was Sunday, and in order to avoid traffic, I took the old mill road, single-lane dirt affair that runs past the Gowanda Cemetery. Johnny, aren't you going to fast? Uh-huh, not for this road. There isn't a thing around except some tombstones. Johnny, there's the gate to the cemetery. What about that hearse? I don't see any. Hey, Johnny, look out! Look out! <laughs> <laughs> It was a big black hearse with no lights on, pulling out of the cemetery. Lucky I had good brakes. We skidded for about 20 feet and slammed into the back of the hearse. The two rear doors buckled and snapped open. It was a freak. A huge oak coffin with brass handles tipped up and began slowly to slide back toward us. Oh, Johnny, look. The coffin is sliding out. Holy You stay right here, honey. I'll help the driver with that thing. Hey, you okay, Mac? You don't pay much attention to speed limits, do you, Jack? Now, look, let's not get hung up on who was right and who was wrong. I was going too fast, and you were traveling without lights after dark. Main thing is, nobody's hurt and no damage done, except for that coffin. And I don't suppose the occupant minds too much. Let's see the driver's license and registration. Right here. Hmm. John Doherty. Oh, a private eye, huh? You listen to the radio too much, Junior. Now, if you don't mind, who does this joy wagon belong to? Go on to funeral service. It's being rented to Grimshaw. Who? Grimshaw from the private sanatorium. Do you mind if I ask what you were doing after dark coming out of a cemetery with a wooden kimono? We're moving one of Grimshaw's patients to a new grave. Uh Uh-huh. Do they always travel like this? Now, look, Hawkshaw, how about skipping the third degree and giving me a hand getting the box back in the wagon, huh? The pleasure. Better screw on the cover again. It's going to slide off. Well, let's get it in the hearse first. Okay, Junior. You get on that end. Ready? Live. Just slide it, brother. Who's in there, King Kong? Look out for the cover. Hey. Uh, I told you that it happened. Hey, uh, uh, what's the guy's name, Junior? Why don't you ask him? Real wise guy, huh? I've got half a mind to report this accident. Go ahead. See what gets you. Grimshaw's got a lot of influence around here, mister. A lot of influence. Now, if you'll pardon me, I'll deliver the body. So long, Junior. Johnny? Johnny? I'm coming, honey. Everything all right, Johnny? I thought so until a few seconds ago. Uh, Listen, baby, can you sit here in the car for another five minutes? Oh, we're due at the wedding in half an hour. I won't be long. Where are you going? For a stroll through the cemetery. Oh, hey, Johnny, stop making jokes. Honey, when we lifted that coffin back on a meat wagon, I got a good look inside of it. Oh. Exactly how I felt. I figured we'd knock the stuffing out of the corpse. Only I didn't expect the stuffing to be sand. What? Yes. It wasn't a body. It was a dummy stuffed with sand, a dummy with a wax face. Johnny! Which brings up an interesting question. Who's supposed to be in that box? And uh, just where is the dead man spending his time? (laughs) 
sometimes in my business, when things drop off, you have to go out and uh, dig up new clients. Well, my next case was a gentleman named Harlan Ward Sr., the wealthy automobile manufacturer. I'd gotten his name off his son's tombstone. Are you trying to tell me, Dorothy, that my son Harlan was never buried at Gowanda Cemetery? Exactly, Mr. Ward. Why? Maybe if you'll tell me the circumstances surrounding your son's death, I can help answer that. My son was a rather impetuous young man. Tall, good-looking. After his graduation from Princeton, he began drinking quite heavily. After he got into a couple of scrapes, we sent him to Dr. Grimshaw's sanatorium in the hope that he could be cured. While my wife and I were in Europe, we received word that he had died. He was buried at Gowanda in our absence. Last week, my wife and I decided to have his body removed to the family vault here at Short Hills. How did your son die, Mr. Ward? Suicide. He slashed his wrist at the sanatorium. You never saw the body? No. We couldn't get back from Europe in time. I see. See here. How do I know this whole thing isn't a plan to fleece me? How do I know that you didn't remove the body yourself? You don't. But you're a rich man, Mr. Ward. And you're perfectly willing to take a chance that I'm on the level. And that your son may still be alive. You sound very sure of yourself, Mr. Dorothy. My fee is $2,000 retainer plus expenses. What sort of expenses? However much it costs to take the cure at Dr. Grimshaw's sanatorium. What do you say, Mr. Ward? All right, Dorothy. My secretary will send you a check in the morning. Good. Oh, uh, one other thing. What's that? I want a photograph of your son, a good one. I think that can be arranged. Look here, Dorothy. If I cooperate, how do I know that you won't run off? I won't guarantee it. On the other hand, I might have to get myself killed on this job. We both take a risk, Mr. Ward. Dr. Grimshaw's sanatorium was just outside Gowanda, and it was strictly for the 400 at $60 a day. Most of the cases were nervous breakdowns and alcoholics. I committed myself as a dipso, and just to make it convincing, I stopped at five or six bars on the way over. I was interviewed by Grimshaw himself, a small man with a fringe of white hair. He seemed on the level. And yet, there was something just the slightest bit phony about the whole deal. You, uh, understand, Mr. Doherty... Uh, that's not my real name, of course. Social reasons. Mm. We understand. Our paid clientele is very select... Now, rates are rather high. You'll be paid in cash and in advance, Dr. Grimshaw. You'll find us most sympathetic. Um, how long does a cure usually take, Doctor? Well, that, of course, depends on the degree of alcoholism. This is my assistant, Dr. Boyner. How do you do? How do you do? We are accepting Mr. Doherty's patient. Better place him in the ward with Mr. K and Mr. Crakey. Mr. K is a long-term patient, Mr. Doherty. Highly intelligent man, formerly a professor of plant pathology. Mr. Crakey suffers mild delusions. I think you'll find him rather amusing. After about three days, my roommates, Arthur Kay and Crakey, got used to me, and we even began to play three-handed bridge. Kay was a chronic dope addict, an intelligent, sensitive man. Crakey was nothing but a clown. He kept a big black cat named the Professor, which he talked to as if it were human. And so I said to her, my dear Countess, if you don't like the company of my cat, then you don't like me. Well, she looked at me as if I were insane, but of course the joke was on her because I was. <laughs> hey, Professor? Meow, 
You'll have to forgive Count Crakey, Mr. Doherty. When you've been here as long as I have, you'll get used to him. Do you like cats, Mr. Doherty? I do hope you like cats, since we are to have adjoining rooms. The professor is very sociable and excellent company. Except when he kills birds and deposits them in your bed. He's nothing but a feline murderer, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> ah, see? You have insulted him. <laughs> Come here, Professor. Let's make friends. Uh, how about giving me your paw? <laughs> You insulted him. You hurt his feelings. Well, keep him away from me. It will be a pleasure. I would advise you not to insult him again. Count Crakey is not altogether without influence here, as Mr. Cable informed you. Good afternoon. And evening. (laughs) Is he always as nuts as that? Ever since I've been here. Why did they let him keep that black Satan? I don't know. I suppose Grimshaw wants to pamper him. He's been here since they opened the place, I understand. Spends about three hours a day getting therapy from Grimshaw. What's his problem? Manic depressive. A little paranoid, too. Mm. How long have you been here, Arthur? Grimshaw's two years. I left for a while, but I couldn't stay away from the junk, so I committed myself again. Did you uh, happen to know a patient here named Harlan Ward? Why do you ask that? Do you know him? I met met him socially a few times. Uh, I understand he died here. So the newspapers said I wouldn't know. Suicide, wasn't it? Was it? You're being pretty careful, aren't you? Mr. Doherty, what would you say if I were to tell you that I don't believe Harlan Ward is dead? What makes you so certain? Harlan Ward used to share this room with us. He slept in the same bed you now use. I see. He was an alcoholic. Doing quite well, too, from what I could observe. We all expected him to go home soon. Then one evening, he had a violent fight with Craigie. Craigie accused him of snooping or something. Later that night, Grimshaw and Boyner took him out. Where? They take all the special treatment cases to the charity clinic. It's that small building on the other side of the stone wall. I think they do their surgery cases there. Why did they take him there? I don't know. Confinement, I guess. A few days later, we read about his death. Suicide, they said. Why do you think he's still alive, Arthur? This. About a month ago, I was in the garden next to the wall that separates us from the charity clinic. Suddenly, I thought I heard a sound like a child whimpering. It stopped. A moment later, this note came over the wall, wrapped around a stone. Then I'm certain I heard a blow and a scream again like a child. What does the note say? Help me, for God's sake, Harlan Ward. I haven't told anyone yet for fear Grimshaw and Boyner might find out. It might just be some insane prank by one of the charity cases. And yet, why should Dr. Grimshaw want to pretend Harlan Ward is dead? I'm not an oracle, Mr. Doherty. What about this charity clinic? I've always been curious. Grimshaw and Boyner make sure that no patient goes there unsupervised. Many of those who've been taken across like Harlan Ward, I've never seen again. Arthur, how'd you like to have some fun? Like what? Like sneaking out tonight and going over the wall. What do you say? It'd break the monotony a little. I don't know. If there's something fishy going on, it'd be better to find out now, wouldn't it? I suppose there's no real harm in it. Of course not. I'd go alone, but I'll need help scaling that wall. Will you do it? All right. I'll go with you. It was shortly after midnight when Kay and I slipped out of the room and made our way out to the garden. Count Crakey was snoring soundly when we left. The wall was about eight feet high, but we made it without too much trouble. Hunt! All clear. Give me your hand and I'll let you. 
careful when you drop. Ready? Go ahead. There's a charity building over there. One of the lights in the basement window. Come on. We'll make a run across the driveway and hide in that clump of bushes alongside the building. Ready? All right. Hey, hold it. Drop flat. What's the matter? Let's crawl over toward the window with the light. Maybe we can see something. I suppose you've got to... Listen. Take it easy. Sounds like Grimshaw. Not Let's get closer. Can you make out what he's saying? No, no. Good Lord. What was that? Probably some patient having a DTs. I think it came from that basement window. Let's get over there where I can have a look. Easy. What do I do to get caught now? Just... See anything? Relax. It's some sort of laboratory. That's right. I can see Grimshaw, Boyner, and someone else with its back toward me. If we're still, we may make out what they're saying. Take it quietly. It will be easier. I warn you. Please, please. It will all be over soon. You won't remember anything. No, I don't want to go. Boyner, give it to him. No, no, no. Shut him up, Boyner. Good Lord. What is it? Come on. We've got to get out of here. What did you see? What did they do to that child? Arthur, that wasn't a child. It was a midget. The smallest midget I've ever seen. What were they doing? Trying to give it some sort of injection. When it resisted, Boyner knocked it out. Well, what did you suppose they were doing to it? I don't know, Arthur. All I know is that when it fell, it had the face of Harlan Ward. All the way back to our room, my brain was working like a pinball machine. Only the score wouldn't add up. The, the pieces were there, all right. A crazy old doctor, a brutal assistant, a private sanatorium, and a midget with a dead man's face. And I couldn't figure it out. I thought that when I got back to our room, I'd have some time to think about it. But I'd forgotten about our friend, the happiness boy, Count Craigie. Ah! So I've caught you! Fine. So you've caught us. Now, how about crawling back into the woodwork like a good little count? Well, where are you? Mink hunting. Arthur and I like to go mink hunting at night. Funny thing, though, the mink weren't running very good. The grunion were running like crazy, though, weren't they, Arthur? Quite crazy, Mr. Doherty. You make fun of Count Craigie. You're lying. I shall report you to Dr. Voynup. Better not, if you know what's good for you. So you threaten me. Me, Count Craigie, world champion gymnast, and barbell balancer. I shall scream for help. Help! Help! Did you hurt him? Just knocked him out. What do we do now? Put him to bed. Hope that when he wakes up in the morning, he's forgotten the whole thing. And if he hasn't? They won't take him seriously anyway. I don't think Grimshaw would believe him. Besides which, he doesn't know what we actually were doing. Come on. Let's get him back into bed. I went to sleep in my own room. And the next thing I felt was the sharp jab of the hypodermic needle in my left arm. I started to struggle, but it was no use. Take it. Boyna and another assistant were holding me down. Grimshaw Please stood over me, the empty needle still in his hand. That's it. <laughs> Be useless to struggle, Mr. Doherty. In a moment, your motor nerves will be completely paralyzed. What's this about, Grimshaw? I might ask the same of you. My good friend Count Crakey informs me you and Mr. K decided to do some snooping earlier tonight. 
He followed you and saw you climb the wall. Craigie's insane. That is a matter of opinion, Mr. Doherty. Craigie! What is this? Perhaps my assistant, Dr. Grimshaw, would be good enough to explain. Assistant? Yes. You see, I am the actual head of the Grimshaw Sanatorium. Grimshaw? Count Craigie feigns many delusions, Mr. Doherty, but in this case he's telling the truth. Count Craigie is actually Professor Ernst Hassler. Professor Hassler and I worked together in the Berlin Neurological Institute before the last war. Unfortunately, my political affiliations with the Third Reich were under investigation after the war by the War Crimes Commission. However, Dr. Grimshaw managed to smuggle me into this country where I masquerade as a mental patient. Thus, we are able to continue certain experiments which were interrupted by the American army. I can imagine the sort of experiments you conducted. You and your friend, Mr. K, will discover their exact nature very shortly, Mr. Doherty. It's a magnificent opportunity to serve science. Then I passed out. And the next thing I knew, I was coming to in a different room. I guessed it was somewhere in the charity building because of the angle of the sun through the windows. They had me in a straitjacket and kept doping me until I lost count of time. I, I don't know how long it kept up. I remember one day being wheeled along a corridor into an operating room and hearing the voices of Boyner, Grimshaw, and Crakey as if from a great distance. Pituitrin. Pituitrin. Four cc's. Four cc's. How are the measurements? Reducing rapidly. We'll operate at once. If Boyner starts the anesthesia. All right, doctor. Commence. came to again, I had a blinding headache, and after that wore off a horrible sensation of weakness. I began to wonder if Craigie and Grimshaw weren't doing something to drive me insane, because I lost all sense of perspective. The room seemed to grow in size. I don't know how much time passed, but one day Grimshaw came into the room with a bundle in his arms, about the size of a newborn baby. The bundle was my friend, Arthur Kay. Good morning, Mr. Doherty. I've brought you a companion. I'm sure you two gentlemen will enjoy each other's company. Let me out of here. Let me out. I couldn't believe my eyes until Grimshaw set Arthur down on the bed beside me. It was then that I got the real shock. For I realized that what had looked like a tiny bundle in Grimshaw's arms was actually the same size that I was. Then, for the first time, I began to understand what was happening to us. Arthur Kay and I were being made into midgets. We got the full explanation next morning when the eminent Professor Hassler, alias Count Crakey, came in to gloat over us. Allow me to congratulate you, gentlemen. How are you feeling? You stinking monster! Oh, I'm disappointed, gentlemen. Do you not feel privileged to be a part of an experiment that will place me at the very top rank of the world's endocrinologists? What are you doing to us? It has been long established, gentlemen, that dwarfism and giantism result from injury to or malfunction of the pituitary and thyroid glands. The interlock between these glands was thought to be a hormone. I have discovered that this was incorrect. It is an enzyme, an enzyme I isolated some years ago. I was well on the way to synthesis in Germany when the surrender interrupted me. The interruption also limited the number and type of subjects on whom I could experiment. I was forced to find others, such as Harlan Ward, Mr. Ward was only a control experiment. And now you've done the same to us. No, gentlemen. For you, I have reserved a special privilege. You, gentlemen, will be the first to test the full effects of the enzyme. In short, I intend that you, Mr. K, and you, Mr. Doherty, when the experiment is completed, 
will emerge as perfectly healthy, normal individuals. Except, of course, that you will be only five inches tall. The days and nights that followed were a living nightmare. A nightmare from which Arthur and I awoke for brief periods to find ourselves in a strange new world. A huge, frightening world where everything was enlarged a hundred times. When we finally emerged, we found ourselves imprisoned in a tiny mouse cage. Judging by the relative size of things, we could not have been more than five inches tall. Now that our senses cleared, we realized that the experiment was at an end. That from now on, it was either escape or be destroyed. Another moment, I think I'll have this lock work loose. And if we escape, then what? We'll worry about that after we get out of this mouse cage. Suppose we don't make it. At least you've written the story on that scrap of paper. Someone may find it and read it. Nobody will believe it. Why'd you bother to write it? I don't know. I, I suppose I want the world to know what happened to me. Does it help me push the door open? Now what? First job's getting down to the floor. I think we can make it by sliding down the telephone cord. Are you game? Go ahead. I'm right behind you. Easy now. Look out. That does it. Now if we can figure out a way to get out of the room. That should be... Uh-oh. Listen. Somebody's coming. It must be Craigie. We've got to hide. There's the grate in the fireplace. He'll kill us if he finds us. Shh. Just quiet. Well, my friends, as for feeding, I trust that you... So, you have managed to break out. It won't do, you know. There is no way you could have gotten out of the room with the door and window locked. I know you're in here. I would advise you to save yourselves trouble and give up. No? Perhaps you are in the desk drawer... Or behind this decanter? Then perhaps in this cabinet. Very well. I shall count to five. One, two, three, four, five. You will not get off, eh? Very well, my tiny friends. If you prefer to play the game of cat and mouse, then I shall be happy to hurl it. How long do you figure it'll take him to get downstairs and let the cat into the building? Three minutes at most. Then we've got three minutes to get out. How? All the doors in the mental institution locked from the outside. We need a special key to get out, and then we couldn't reach the lock. I don't know. There must be... Wait a minute. What is it? John, What? You see that thin strand of wire running along the molding? What about it? You know what it is? No. It's the automatic fire alarm. What about it? When the alarm is tripped by a fire, all the locks are sprung so the patients can escape in the rooms. Are you certain? Positive. This door is part of the system. If I can work the insulation off that wire and short it before Craigie lets the cat in the building, let's go. Here's a tiny sliver of steel from the cage on the floor. I'll work with that. You keep an ear to the door. Go ahead. This insulation is tough as raw hide. How much time is it? Not much. Stop. Here, let me help. What was that? What? I, I thought I heard a door slam. Mikey couldn't be back so soon. Hurry up, Arthur, for God's sake. Stand away. We're going to short it. Ready? Okay. We made it. 
There goes the door. Come on, we'll make a run for it down the hall. If we can get to the garden, we've got a chance. I smell smoke. The short may have actually started the fire. Come on. Oh, wait a minute. What's up? I have to go back. The manuscript. Don't be a fool. There's no time. Come on. You go ahead. I I'll catch up. Hurry up. I'll wait in the hall. Only a second. in a fountain pen cover in the burned-out hallway of Grimshaw Sanatorium. There is nothing to add, except that the fire which destroyed the sanatorium and killed so many of its occupants, including Dr. Grimshaw and Dr. Voina, was definitely of incendiary origin. It is believed by the fire chief that some small creature, either a mouse or possibly a cat, chewed the insulation off the wire and short-circuited the system. The two patients... John Doherty and Arthur Kay vanished completely after the fire, and their remains were never found. Whether the manuscript which you have just heard is authentic, or whether it was the work of one of the more demented inmates of the sanatorium, we leave to your judgment. You have just heard another adventure into the unknown world of the future. The world of... Dimension X. Next week on Dimension X, and the moon be still as bright. The story of the first despoilers of the planet Mars... The men from Earth. Tonight, Dimension X has transcribed Dr. Grimshaw's Sanatorium. Adapted for radio by George Lefferts from an original short story by Fletcher Pratt. Featured in the cast were Carl Weber as John Doherty and Roger DeCoven as Arthur Kay. Your narrator was Norman Rose. Music by Albert Berman. Engineer Bill Chambers. Dimension X is directed by Edward King. Stay tuned for A Day in the Life of Dennis Day. Time now for A Day in the Life of Dennis Day. You know, I've always had a soft spot in my heart for Dennis Day. I remember my mom was a huge fan of his, and with her own beautiful soprano voice, she would sing along with him, especially on St. Patrick's Day. I can almost hear her singing Tura Lura Lura right now. So now let's hear how Dennis's trip to the lingerie store turns out. Dennis Day. Oh, that makes life be worthwhile. Wilt in your own.
today is brought to you by Palmolive Soap and Colgate Dental Cream. Palmolive Soap, your beauty hope, and Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth. The Dennis Day Show with Barbara Eiler, B. Benadera, Dink Trout, George Dooning in the orchestra, and yours truly, Vern Smith, is written by Frank Galen and stars our popular young singer in A Day in the Life of Dennis Day. Here's Dennis to sing the new hit song, The Matador. The Matador was in the ring, prada boom chick, boom prada boom chick. When a frightened bull came out of that door to face the Matador and slaughter ring, prada boom boom, boom prada boom boom, dressed in a new familiar cape and traditional regalia. He hadn't let a bull escape, so the bull was facing failure. He moved in at an angle, and the two began to tangle as the crowd let out a roar. And to this day, no one has seen the matador. Bum chick, bum bum chick. No, they cheer the bull in wild acclaim. Bum bum, bum bum bum. His pen and taking balls and all the gorgeous cows are all aflame. Prada boom, chick, boom, prada boom, boom. This seven hundred pounds of fake is reputed to be some steer. This is a very big mistake. All the people got a bond steer. He may be celebrated, but he actually was slated for Pepito's butcher store to be a beefsteak for the famous matador. Prada boom boom boom, prada boom boom boom, prada boom boom boom. Ole! ever notice that the average intelligent male mind, no matter how efficient at retaining all sorts of abstruse information, is completely incapable of remembering birthdays, anniversaries, and other events dear to a woman's heart? Well, this being the case, you would expect our young hero, Dennis Day, to remember them perfectly. But, alas, in this one particular, his mind is similar to the average intelligent male's. So, tomorrow, being Mildred Anderson's birthday, she finds it necessary to operate somewhat coyly, like this. Dennis? Huh? Do you know what tomorrow is? Oh, naturally. Tomorrow's the day all the kids have fun bobbing for apples and burning down houses and stuff. <laughs> Dennis, I know it's Halloween, but it also happens to be something else. It does? What? Well, let's put it this way. Just 21 years ago tomorrow, my mother was in the hospital, and all my father's friends were congratulating him. Well, what do you know? So he did win one of their fights. <laughs> That's the day I was born. Oh, I knew he couldn't have done it if she hadn't been concentrating on something else. <laughs> Dennis, don't you realize what I'm trying to tell you? Tomorrow's my birthday. Your birthday? Oh, my gosh, that's right, it is. How could you ever have forgotten? Don't you remember how you surprised me on my birthday last year? Yeah, I didn't give you anything. 
<laughs> yes, and I'll bet you were going to do the same thing this year. Oh, Dennis. Oh, Mildred, don't get excited. All you have to do is tell me what you no. want. No. It's up to you to pick out my gift with no help from me. Oh. Do you think I tell you that a new shop called Mademoiselle Yvette of Paris just opened at 128 Elm Street with the loveliest bed jackets and negligees and things I've ever seen? Do you think I let you know I didn't trust your judgment by hinting that's what I wanted? Looks like. <laughs> well, she does have some simply divine imported lingerie, Dennis. Just ask for Mademoiselle Yvette herself. Okay, I'll, I'll get a firm grip on myself and go down to her shop right now. Get a firm grip on yourself? What do you mean? Well, I've never been in a store like that before, Mildred, and... Well, gosh, you know how I blush just going through the backyard on Monday mornings. Uh, good morning, miss. Banjo Monsieur. <laughs> You have a desire? Oh, yes, ma'am. Could I speak to Mademoiselle Yvette of Paris, please? You're speaking to La Mademoiselle in Python, dearie. You're Mademoiselle Yvette? Maynette! Gee, you have the most peculiar accent. What part of France are you from? Oh, a little place outside Paris called Green Turns. <laughs> Did you wish to see some merchandise, Monsieur? Well, uh, yes, ma'am. It's uh, for my girlfriend, but I, uh, I... Uh... Uh, what's the matter, bashful? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> I understand. Well, how about a pair of these? Oh, put them down! Put them down! <laughs> so what are you getting excited? There's nobody in them. <laughs> I know, but I can't help it. Okay, if you ain't interested in stockings, I'll show you something else. I have a new number here I was just unpacking. A lovely nightgown, see? Yeah. Okay, take it out of the tissue paper. What tissue paper? That's the nightgown. Oh, my gosh. Ain't it a lovely creation, though? Fill me like frost, huh? It's a special Parisian importation called the Marie Antoinette Nighty. Uh, how much is it? $150. How much without Marie Antoinette? Uh, you mean $150 is too high for you, huh? Well, a little. To tell the truth, I was looking for some lingerie at around $3. Sonny, for $3 it ain't lingerie, it's underwear. <laughs> I'm sorry, mademoiselle, but that's all the money I have. Well, how about a pair of these black lace things? They look kind of inexpensive. Well, that's an import, too, dearie. Don't you see those French words embroidered on one leg? Oh, yeah. L'amour toujours l'amour. I wonder what that means in English. Well, I'm not sure, but I think it's do not use a hot iron. <laughs> Those step-ins would interest you anyway. They're $85. $85? Gosh, in that case... Well, I... wait, don't give up. I think I have something in the back in the stock. It's just your price. I'll be with you in just a sec. Gee, $85 for just one little pair. They are kind of cute, though, with that black lace. I wonder if... Nah, still they might. Oh, no, it's ridiculous. I'm sure they don't make them for men. <laughs> 
It sure be a sensation down at the locker room of the gym, though. Oh, but they're too flimsy anyway. I'll bet if they got one little tug like this that they just... Oh, my gosh, what have I done? They're not black, black lace steppings anymore. They're black lace kilt. What'll I do? $85. She'll have me locked up. I think I have something for you, Sonny. Holy smoke, here she comes. I gotta get out of here. I can't go to jail. It's only along the seam. Two minutes with the sewing machine and they'll be as good as new. Listen, thank goodness you're home. I gotta talk to you. I'm in trouble. Oh, my. Here we go again. (laughs) What now, boy? Well, suppose... Suppose a person had an accident and then ran away from the scene of the crime... That would be pretty bad, wouldn't it? Oh, my, yes. Hit and run is a very serious offense, Dennis. Well, this wasn't exactly hit and run. It was more rip and skip. (laughs) Dennis, just what kind of trouble are you in? Oh, it's bad, Mr. Anderson. Have you got $85 you could give me right away? $85? Who do you think you're talking to, the head of the family? (laughs) Oh, my gosh, then what can I do? Well, as I see it, you have two choices. You can try to borrow the money from my wife, or you can commit Harry Carey. <laughs> of the two, I'd say the first was the faster way to go. Mr. Anderson, I'm desperate. I'm going to try to borrow it from your wife. I'll see you later. Well, out of one eye at the very most, but good luck, my boy. Oh, thanks. Ah, good morning, Mrs. Anderson. Good morning, Dennis. Gee, you know something? I've never seen you looking so lovely. What have you done to your hair this morning? I haven't had a chance to comb it yet. <laughs> oh. Well, uh, Mrs. Anderson, I was wondering if you'd do me a tiny little favor. You see, my grandmother hasn't been feeling well. Oh, I'm sorry to hear it. Anything serious? Well, probably. She died last night. <laughs> oh, my gracious. That's... Uh... Wait a minute. Didn't you tell me one of your grandmothers passed away ten years ago and the other died before you were born? That's right. Now I need $85. It's time they were buried. (laughs) Dennis, do you by any chance happen to be out of that vacuum-packed head of yours? Oh, no, ma'am. Look, Mrs. Anderson, I'm desperate. I just got to get my hands on some money. And you want it from me? Would you please, ma'am? Would you please? Don't be fantastic. Not a red cent will you get. But, Mrs. Anderson... That's final, Dennis. Now get your hat. I want you to run an errand for me. Yes, ma'am. I want you to take these diamond earrings down to the jeweler on Main Street and have them cleaned and the stones reset. Do you think you can handle such an errand? Well, sure. What gives you the idea I can't do a simple thing like that? We haven't time to go into that now. (laughs) Just get them there and don't breathe a word to Mildred about it. I'm giving them to her as a surprise for her birthday. Oh, yes, ma'am. Now hurry and remember, Mildred mustn't know a thing about this. Oh, no, ma'am. She won't. Oh, hi, Dennis. Where are you going in such a hurry? Oh, someplace. Yes, but but what have you got there? My goodness, Mother's earring. Oh, my gosh, I didn't mean for you to find... Mildred, you've got to forget you saw them. Please, will you? Well, sure, but where are you taking them? Oh, I can't tell you. But believe me, you're going to get a nice birthday present. Goodbye. (laughs) Now, what in the world? Was that Dennis who rushed out of here like that, Mildred? Yes. Daddy, have you any idea why he's rushing off with Mother's valuable diamond earring? Her diamond earring? Oh, my sacred Aunt Petunia's little lace chemical. Daddy, what is it? Well, he told me he was in a bad jam and needed money desperately. 
Mildred, you don't Oh, suppose... my goodness. And he just told me I was going to get a nice birthday present. But, Daddy, you can't think he stole those oh, earrings. Oh, of course not. Only a dope would do a thing like that. Oh, then you do think so. <laughs> well, I'm afraid our Dennis is in trouble and has done something very foolish, Mildred. Oh, Daddy, I always wanted to take an ocean trip for my honeymoon, but not to Alcatraz. <laughs> We'll continue this rather harrowing day in the life of Dennis Day in a few minutes. Meanwhile, here's Dennis to sing Every Day I Love You. Every day I love you just a little bit more, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. Every day I want you just a little bit more than I did the day before. You'll never guess how deep my love is Not even in your wildest dreams But just so you'll get it clear Compared to my love, my dear The Mississippi River's just a stream Every day I love you just a little bit more Just a little bit more Just a little bit more Every day I want you just a little bit more than I did the day before. Well, our Dennis is in a jam. He expects to be arrested any moment for accidentally tearing a pair of black lace step-ins in a lingerie shop. But what he doesn't know is that his guilty actions have caused Mildred and Mr. Anderson to believe he's stolen Mrs. Anderson's diamond earrings and intends to sell them. They've just confided their suspicions to Mrs. Anderson, who takes the news of her loss like a trooper. A stormtrooper, that is. <laughs> Why that low-down snake in the grass? I'll break every bone in his empty skull. <laughs> Easy now, bunny fluff. <laughs> Easy. Oh, that thief. And to think I handed him those earrings myself. Mother Dennis isn't a criminal. He, he's just temporarily out of his mind. <laughs> Twenty-two years is not temporary. <laughs> That's what he is. No, Mother, there must be some mistake. He can't be a crook. I tell you, he is. And you, you wanted to marry him. Oh, I still do. I don't care what he turns out to be. I'll marry the man I love in spite of everything. That's a fine way to talk. And with the example of your mother right in front of your nose. <laughs> I've decided to overlook that for any number of obvious reasons. <laughs> However, the main problem right now is what to do about Dennis. Problem? What problem? I'm going to call the police and have him locked up. The police? Oh, Mother, you can't. No, lover girl, I won't let you. Oh, you won't let me, huh? No, Poopsie. You make one move toward that phone and you have me to deal with. You understand? Calling all cars. Calling all cars. Be on the lookout for Dennis Day, wanted for jewel robbery. Description as follows, age 22, height 5 feet 9, 
when last seen was wearing brown trousers, tennis shoes, and a Mickey Mouse sweatshirt. <laughs> Both of Mickey Mouse's eyes are bloodshot due to ketchup stains. Arrest this man on sight. That is all. Rose and cramps. Well, did the kid talk yet, Dunnigan? Yeah, yeah, sure he talked, only who can make sense out of what he's saying? What do you mean? Did you shine the light in his eyes? Yeah, yeah, but I had to quit. Found out he likes it. <laughs> what, did you threaten him with the hose? Yeah, three times. Kept saying, no thanks, he just had a show. <laughs> We gotta get a confession out of a man. I'll find out what he did with those earrings if it takes all night. Now, I'm warning you, Cap, his answers ain't like any that you ever heard before. <laughs> Baloney, wait till I work on him a while. Come on. All right, Dave, sit down. Oh, that's all right. I've been sitting all evening. Here, you sit down. Shut up. Yes, sir. <laughs> Didn't I tell you, Kevin? <laughs> you keep quiet, too. Dave, have you got a record? Oh, no, sir. I don't even have a phonograph. <laughs> now, look here, you. This has gone far enough. You're going to sing. Do you understand? I beg pardon? I'm telling you, if you know what's good for you, you'll sing. Yes, sir. Way down upon the Swanee River. Shut up! <laughs> Any Lulu though. Once and for all, day, are you guilty or aren't you? Oh, yes, sir, I did it. But they were such flimsy things that I couldn't help... Never mind the excuses. What I want to know is, have you got them on you? Oh, no, sir. <laughs> no, sir, I'm strictly a red flannel man myself. Say, Captain, did you notice that some of his answers don't even have anything to do with the question? <laughs> Starting to make me a little nervous, too. Well, he ain't got him on him. I can vouch for that. He probably gave him a fence and they divided the loot. Yeah. Okay, Dave, did you split with a fence? <laughs> I told you I wasn't wearing them, so how could I split them on a fence? Now, quit stalling. Did you break them up and take the stones out of them? You have stones in them? stones in them. Gee, no wonder some women are so fidgety. What? Now I know why you hear so much screaming on the radio when you tune in, ladies, be seated. Well, let's get them both and let them go before we're not screwing. Now, today I'm warning you for the last time. Are you going to tell us what you did with those earrings, or aren't you? Earrings? What earrings? Mrs. Anderson's earrings, of course. What do you think we pinched you for? Oh, I thought it was on account of the black lace steppings. <laughs> Why do we care how you dress? <laughs> All we want to know is where those earrings are. Oh, well, that's easy enough. They're at the jewelers being fixed. Mrs. Anderson asked me to take them there for her. Oh, she asked you to take them, eh? A likely story. Oh, it's true, Sergeant. In fact, I walked right past you when I went into the jewelers with them. It could be, Donegan. That's your beat. 
Of course, maybe the sergeant didn't notice me. He was sitting in his patrol car with a blonde. What? <laughs> well, look, look, don't listen to him, Cap. Will you, will well, you... were you with a blonde or weren't you, Dunnigan? No, really, Cap. I'm... Come on, talk. Shall I shine the light in his eyes? Look, <laughs> Look, you got my reports every half hour. Didn't you, Cap? What are you worrying about? I want my men to do their jobs, Dunnigan. Yeah? All right. Where were you when I phoned in 11.45 this morning? Answer me that. None of your business. Uh-huh. <laughs> I thought so. I'm guzzling beer again, eh? Now, see here. Where were you or weren't you? Shall I give him the hose? <laughs> Dunnigan. Go get that jeweler on the phone and check the kid's story. Okay, Cap. But I'll tell you one thing, Dave. If you're lying to us, I'm sorry for you. You're going up the river for so long Uh that you... Ah, so you finally caught the scoundrel, huh? Oh, hi, Mrs. Anderson. Well, I must say this is a very inefficient police force. There isn't a mark on him. (laughs) Mrs. Anderson, how can you talk like that? Lady, the boy says you gave him those earrings yourself. Well, of course I did. But this thief planned to... Hey, look, it's like the kid says, all right, Cap. The earrings are at the jewelers, and they're under Mrs. Anderson's name. What? See? Yeah. (laughs) Why, I... I don't understand. I, uh... I thought that he... I don't care what you thought, lady. This boy is innocent. Well, yes, I guess he is, and... And I'm sorry about what happened. Sorry? Do you realize he could sue you for false arrest and defamation of character and get every nickel you own? I could? Gosh. Ah, uh, oh, but he, he wouldn't do that, Captain. Why, we're such very dear friends. Why, we love each other, don't we, Dennis? Fair. <laughs> oh, why, why, you don't mean that. I know you don't. And just as soon as we get back to my house... Whose but... house, kiddo? <laughs> I mean, our house, naturally. <laughs> I'll get my car right away and... Whose we... car? <laughs> our car, of course. What am I saying? <laughs> you stay right here and I'll get my husband. That is, I mean... Oh, no, you can have him all to yourself. <laughs> oh... Thank you, Dennis. Thank you, who? I mean, thank you, Mr. Day. Who? Very well, Popsy. George Dooning and the orchestra, here now is Dennis to sing The Night Has a Thousand Eyes. Don't whisper things to me you don't mean. For words deep down inside can be seen by the night. that lies Oh, romance may have called in the past My love for you will be everlasting 
everlasting and bright. As bright as the starlit sky. And this wondrous night that has a thousand eyes. I've lived my life walking through a dream. For I knew that I would find this moment supreme. A night of bliss and tender Thousand eyes, but I as a thousand. week, tune in to another Dennis Day show brought to you by Palmolive Soap, Your Beauty Hope, and Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth. again next week to Colgate's Hour of Fun, Judy Canova, followed by Dennis Day. And for another great comedy program, hear Blondie next Wednesday evening over your favorite NBC station. This is Vern Smith speaking. Good night. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Escape, followed by George Burns and Gracie Allen. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Shonoel for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.